and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, hey, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning that you're going to want to check out. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Yes, now uh, before we get going and start talking about the show today, I did want to uh, apologize to my regular listeners. I did have to skip an episode last week, and you know, I wanted to keep you guys informed. I, I know I was a little absentee, a little MIA from, from social media as well. And uh, unfortunately, my wife and I, we had to make the tough decision to put down our oldest dog, Colby Jack. Uh, we had to do that the day after Thanksgiving, and it's been a rough couple weeks. It really has for us. And I know all you dog lovers out there can can understand. And uh, But I, I did want to apologize for not at least putting something out there and explaining, you know, we weren't going to have a new episode last week. So I uh, just wanted to say sorry about that. But, you know, sometimes things things get away from you, you know, and, and, and other things have to take priority. And again, everybody can understand that. So, uh, but Hey, you know, let's, let's talk about the show today. We've got a good show lined up and our first segment today is going to be, uh, great expectations for your dog, (laughs) right? Yes. Not the book. We're talking about what expectations you want to set up for your dog, how to get those expectations going, how to meet those expectations Some good stuff right there. Right. And then we're going to have a segment, of course, a tribute to Colby Jack. We're going to talk about my best friend, my buddy. Uh, we have to talk about him, right? Um, so good segment lined up there. It really is. And it means a lot to me. Then we're going to have our breed of the week and then the listener Q&A. If you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, keep them coming at me. I love all the questions. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or hey, reach out to me on Instagram. Shoot me a message there if you want. That's totally cool too. Again, at speakadogcast all good stuff. So, you know, we're going to get going with that show today, but before we do, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what was the first animal in space? Yes. What was the first animal in space? And I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, great expectations for your dog. Yes, now any of you guys in the U.S., I'm pretty sure almost every high school in the country has great expectations on the required reading list, and it was my least favorite. (laughs) Without a doubt, my least favorite book on the required reading list. Oh my gosh, what? I mean, it's just terrible. I'm sorry, just terrible. (laughs) So bad. Oh, man. And any of you out there, if you haven't read it yet and you're going to or have to, my biggest advice, lower your expectations. (laughs) Yeah, do not have great expectations. However, we're not talking about the book today, so hopefully this segment is not going to be nearly as long or nearly as boring. (laughs) Yeah, you know, look, we're talking about expectations with our dogs, so I don't want lowered expectations. The opposite. I want raised expectations, higher expectations for our pets, because quite frankly, guys, that's the theme of this segment. It really is. You need to raise what you think your dog is capable of. You do, because dogs are amazing creatures, aren't they? They're incredible. They're smart. They're they're quick thinking. Yes, they have their limits and their processing capabilities, of course, but they are amazing, amazing smart creatures, and we really need to remember that and treat them that way, okay? So, you know, you need to raise your expectations. 
I think that's that's probably one of the biggest problems that clients have is they don't have high enough expectations for their dogs. And what ends up happening is, quite frankly, they, they get in their own way. My clients get in their own way of training their dogs. And I mean, isn't that true about life in general for all of us, myself included? You know, I think that's the that's just a common thing for humans is we get in our own way. We do. We let our emotions maybe get in the way more than anything. And so if you can get out of your own way, right? If you really, if you can just get out of your own way and raise your expectations for what you think your dog is capable of, man, your dog can do some amazing things. So what's realistic? What's reasonable to expect of our dogs, right? What can we expect? Let's start with a puppy, like a blank slate and what our puppy's capable of. And I'm going to give the example of my puppy, Riker. What a phenomenal puppy. I brag about him a lot because he's so awesome. And, you know, I was actually just talking about this earlier this evening where a f- I-, I had Riker off leash at four months old on my property and he was doing a recall. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he was doing great four months old. And now keep in mind, my property is fenced and we do, we've got a couple acres, a little bit of space. So he could, if he wanted to take off and run and play keep away, he could have at any point, but you know something he never did. He never did because of my expectations of him and his training. And then, of course, my training, follow through, reinforcement, all that good stuff that we've talked about ad nauseum in this uh, on this podcast. Right. So uh, people are often surprised when I tell them, well, if I'm out in public with Riker, they're often surprised when I when I tell them how old he is. And my clients are often surprised by by, you know, what Riker has been capable of at such a young age. Now, look, guys, every puppy's a little different. Every puppy's a little different. Sure, there's some puppies are maybe a little smarter than others, but you know something? They're all smart. They really are. And I think the only reason people don't get out of their dogs what they want is because they don't raise their expectations of what they think their dogs, and especially puppies, are capable of, okay? So the reason I had Riker doing so well at such a young age is because from day one, From day one, my expectations were raised for him. From day one at 11 weeks old, he's going to sit for a treat. From day one, I'm not going to let Riker climb all over me and paw me. From day one, I'm going to tell him no when he does something undesired, right? Because he's perfectly capable of understanding these concepts as long as I am consistent with my information And I'm also consistent and persistent, right? Both persistent and consistent. There you go. Got to have both of them because that's what it takes to raise your expectations. You know, look, I compare it like, like parents and, and I'm sorry, I'm calling some of you out out there. I am (laughs) parents who don't follow through empty threats, right? Hey, if you don't stop misbehaving, I'm going to do this and this and this. Hey, I warned you. Hey, I told you, if you don't stop misbehaving, I'm going to do this and this. Hey, come on. Didn't I warn you that if you don't stop misbehaving? Three empty threats, right? Um, unfortunately, I, I, I see it more often than I would care to. Um, I think most of us do out there at least. And it's the truth, right? Think about it. Your expectations are lower. You're not expecting your child to stop after the first, second, or even third empty threat because you're not following through and your child learns, oh, yeah, you're not going to follow through. That's an empty threat. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm not getting grounded. I'm not getting this toy taken away. And before you know it, they keep doing the bad behavior, right? And really what's happening there is the parent is, is lowering their expectation of what the kid is capable of. 
by letting them get away with it. Yeah. Now, again, not a parenting podcast, not a human psychology podcast. So I'm not going to go into that too much today before I start getting angry emails of, David, you don't know what I'm parenting. You don't know about parenting. We're not, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Let's stick to the dogs. Um, but it's the same thing, guys. It's the same thing. You have to raise your expectations. So because with my puppy, Riker, I viewed him as, as being capable of doing these things at a young age, he was. Right. So I, I hear it a lot, not just with my own dog. I hear it when I go to appointments and I go to a consultation and I get a dog to sit and stay and that they never thought the dog was capable of sitting and staying. Right. Because their expectation was that the dog can't do it. And when you know it, the dog didn't do it because he, they didn't expect him to. <laughs> so, you know, I say that a lot. I kind of, let's, let's talk about like walks for a second. This is a good example. You know, you have to be in a good mindset when you go out for a walk. And we've talked about this on, on, the, on the podcast before. And I talk about this with my clients. Uh, you have to be in a good mindset. And really what that mindset is, is you're having good expectations for the walk. I tell people, before you walk out that door, you have to think and imagine the walk going well. It sounds silly and ridiculous a little bit. I get it. Uh, but you have to you have to put yourself in a good state of mind. And what you're really doing is raising your expectations of how that walk is going to go. And more than 90% of the time, guys, the walk goes a lot better when my clients do that. Hmm because they're raising their expectations of how that walk will be. And when you know it, boom, walk gets better. Just by that, just that little tweak, one tiny thing. But my clients, look, when I when I go to hand off a leash to somebody, especially like after a boot camp, and you know, when I do a boot camp, I obviously, you know, I take the dog for a little while. When I bring the dog back, we have a return session, but I don't just bring the dog back and hand the dog to the person. No, 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 no. We have to change our expectations before I can hand that leash back to the owner, okay? And so before I hand that leash back to the owner, if the owner looks not confident, maybe scared to take the leash, or because they're already scared that the dog's going to do the wrong thing again, I don't hand the leash back to the owner. Go, nope, you're not ready. And, we keep go- and I, I keep going, move on to somebody else. Not being mean, just being truthful. Look, guys... The reality is dogs are very truthful animals, okay? And this is a little side note here. Dogs are truthful. There's there's no BS. I've talked about this before, and I'm just going to say it bluntly. There is no <laughs> when it comes to animals. They will see right through your <laughs> Sorry, I'm being blunt about it, but it's the truth. Dogs see right through it. You cannot fake it like that. You just, you can't. And so if your body language, if your body, if I can see it, (laughs) then the dog really knows it, right? Because they smell it. So I have to, you have to raise your expectations of what your dog is capable of. So again, what I'm trying to get at here is if your body language is sad and scared, then you're already expecting that to go poorly. When I hand that leash to you, that client, when I hand that leash to a client like that, that client's already expecting the result to be poor. And wouldn't you know it, they're not going to get a good result. Yeah, so that's just kind of a side note that you have to be in a good mental state to be able to raise your expectations with your dog. Okay. Um, all right, but let's, let's <laughs> I know I'm getting off on a little tangent. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to point a finger, but guys, 
animals don't care about that stuff. They're not worried about feelings and how you're, are you sad? Are you happy? Oh, David, but my dog comes up when I'm not feeling good. Well, sure. I'm not saying dogs don't have emotions, but all right, come on. Let's not, we're not going to get off on this tangent. Let's stay on track with our expectations. But again, guys, I, I see it a lot where, um, you know, I, I, I get a behavior out of a dog that the owner doesn't think is possible. And the only reason really more than anything that I, I can get that behavior out of that dog is because I know, I know that dog is capable of doing awesome things. And so I want to bring that awesomeness out of that dog. And by just having that expectation of knowing they're capable of it, that's why I can bring it out of them. But the owner going, wow, I didn't think he could do that. Well, because of course not, you know, think therefore I am right I think, therefore, I am. It's, 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 you know, if you dream, if you build it, they will come. I mean, if we can say all these kind of little sayings that really apply in one way or another to this, and it's so true. It's so true. You have to mentally raise your expectations of what you think your dog is capable of. Okay. So if we go back to the puppiness of it, Guys, puppies are capable at a young age of doing so much more than people get them, give them credit for. Look, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago where I heard I had a client tell me that their vet, their, their veterinarian told them, you shouldn't be training your dog at all before six months old. I mean, that is just one of the craziest things I have ever heard a professional in the animal world say, that you shouldn't train your dog before they're six months old. Talk about lowering your expectations. I mean, give me a break. Guys, dogs can be trained from day one to what level that training takes on at a four-week-old puppy or a 14-week-old puppy or an eight-month-old puppy. Sure. You know, as I talked about at the beginning, our expectations do have to evolve and change as they get older. Okay. I can't expect the same thing out of a uh, 14-week-old dog as I am a 14-year-old dog. There's going to be different expectations that evolve over time there. But, but your dog is capable of doing a lot at a very young age. So, so, so you're probably saying, okay, David, what's my puppy capable of doing at what ages? Let's see if we can kind of just run through it a little bit. A generalized rule of thumb, and this is always the first one with a puppy, right? A generalized rule of thumb, 12 to 16 weeks is where your dog should be perfectly capable of holding their bladder, okay? 12 to 16 weeks, generalized rule of thumb. Again, going to be dependent upon the size of the dog, the breed, but that's the first one. That's the one, that's, that's the most common thing we all deal with with puppies is housebreaking. So that is a realistic expectation. At what point should you be able to sleep through the night with your puppy? Guys, it can start as young as 10, 8 to 10 weeks old that you should be able to sleep through night, depending upon the size, depending upon the dog. More realistically, 10 to 12 to 13 weeks. That's when you should start to be expecting to sleep through the night. But I know people that have six, eight-month-old dogs and they go, oh, my dog still wakes me up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I don't think he can hold it, David. I don't think he can hold it. Yes, he can. <laughs> okay, yes, he can. Your dog is now working you. Raise your expectations. Okay. Dogs are awesome creatures, guys. Don't forget it. So we can raise those expectations. Okay. What age should my dog be able to walk on a leash? Believe it or not, believe it or not, 10 to 12 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks is reasonable, is reasonable for your dog to walk well on a leash. Okay. If your dog is not, if you've had your dog since a small puppy and your dog is not walking well by 14 to 16 weeks old, guys, come on. 
Get on top of it. Raise your expectations. Hire a trainer. Do some reading. Do some research. Train, change the tool you're using to, to walk with them. Do something different, but raise those expectations on what your dogs and puppies are capable of. Okay, so there's some generalized things. At what age should my dog be able to get out of the crate? Generalized rule, around 12 months, around a year. Now, I usually say my minimum is 12 months because it's better to overdo it than underdo it. But reasonably speaking, you should be able to start getting your dog out of the crate. Guys, my dog is, how old is Riker? Uh, I'm losing track of time. Honestly, guys, the past few weeks have been just a little nuts, uh, a little crazy. There was a lot going on. A lot, a lot has happened in the past few weeks, and um, my brain, is, my brain's a little jumbled. So I would have to think. I, I'm, I think he's about nine months old. We're coming up on nine months, maybe just past nine months. <laughs> Off the top of my head, as I'm racking my brain, um, I don't know if you can hear the stress in my voice a little bit. <laughs> this podcast, I've been, I've been stretched a little thin. Um, but anyway, eight, nine months old. And, and Riker can actually walk off of a leash. Walk, Riker is getting out of the crate. You know, uh, he we're, we're not crating him nearly as much. I'm still crating him because I still think it's important to go back to it. Now, keep in mind, guys, I'm the professional. <laughs> I should be getting away from the crate. I should be able to raise my expectations even higher than what your dog is capable of. Now, your dog is still capable of it, but maybe he doesn't, you know, again, I'm, I'm the professional. I should be able to get better, <laughs> better results. If I didn't, I'd be worried. If you guys are getting better results than me, I'd be scared. I would say stop listening to this podcast, right? <laughs> So again, my expectations are much higher than the average owner, as they should be, and Riker is perfectly capable of not being in a crate for a couple hours. Uh, overnight, not crating him anymore. You should be if your dog is that age, though. <laughs> you know, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, but again, I raise my expectations for what I think and what I know Riker is capable of at this point in his training, because we've been on top of his training since day one, right? So your dog is capable of doing much more than you think they are, guys. And that, that's really what I'm trying to get at here. You need to raise your expectations behaviorally for what you think your dog can do. If you want your dog to stop barking at the front door as much, guess what, guys? They can do it. If you want your dog to stop reacting at bunnies, you know, flying across. Majority of you out there, your dog can do it. I only say majority because look, some of you may have prey-driven dogs. Some of you may have dogs that, uh, like a greyhound. It's a little harder to break those things when you had a, a racing greyhound where it was really hammered in at a young age, you know? Um, so raise your expectations is really what I'm saying here, guys. Have I said it enough? I don't know if I've said that enough yet. <laughs> raise your behavioral expectations in what you think your dog is capable of. Because I can pretty much guarantee you, any of you thinking out there, well, David, I don't know if he's capable. I can pretty much guarantee you he's capable. He's capable. She's capable. Your dog is capable of doing so much more. Okay? So raise your expectations. Look, if you're not sure how to go about it, by all means, reach out to a professional. Reach out to a trainer. I encourage you guys um, to, to find someone, whether it be myself, whether you you know email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Definitely let me know if you have any questions about anything. Um, but raise those expectations, get the help you need, do what you need to do because your dog can do it. I know they can. So, um, you know, have some great expectations, maybe not the book <laughs> and you and your dog will be on your way to behaving better. Yeah. You too. In no time. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. 
Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a dog cast, it's a tribute to Colby Jack. Many of my regular listeners, you know, um, we definitely, I, I missed an episode last week. You know, normally I come out with episodes weekly and this past week we, we, we had to skip the podcast and unfortunately the day after Thanksgiving, my wife and I had to make the difficult decision to put our golden retriever Colby Jack down. Um, you know, I, I, I hadn't talked about it on the podcast because I don't know, maybe just a part of me just didn't want it to be true or I, I, you know, I, I really don't know, but back in October, uh, you know, I had a feeling that Colby wasn't doing so well. I could just kind of tell that maybe something wasn't right and we went and got him checked out and, you know, unfortunately he had lumps all over his stomach, his spleen, and even some very, very, very small ones on his lungs. And, you know, he had had the, the benign, you know, the, the lumps all over his body, his golden retriever as he got older and he was 11 and a half. And luckily all the lumps, but one over time had been fine. You know, uh, in the past they had all been fine. We had one on his foot or one on his back leg that we had had to have removed. And, um, you know, even recently he had a small growth on his front paw that we got taken care of and they, you know, doc, our, our, our vet checked him out really well. And we got, and I think we had x-rays even done months ago and all was well, you know? So unfortunately with, with these things, they can, um, they come out of nowhere, you know, and he was, he was getting old and it happens. So, um, I hadn't mentioned it to you guys, but we found out in October that, you know, there was really nothing we could do. And, Colby was nice enough to give us another month and a half with him after we found out. And, you know, it was amazing that we got that much more time with him. So I apologize that I didn't have an episode last week, but we were, um, you know, grieving obviously. And with Thanksgiving and everything, it just, every, everything got turned upside down. Some of the personal stuff going on and, uh, on top of Colby and it just, it's been a lot, you know, but I wanted to talk a little bit about him because it's, you know, I, I know it's sad and it's not something maybe you want to necessarily listen to because like I'm one of those people who I don't like dog movies. I don't want to watch dog movies because they mostly have sadness in them. And I, I, I can't, you know, I can't handle it. I can't handle pets and sadness. I have to deal with it enough as it is in my own life with my own pets, my client pets, you know, I, I, I can't watch those movies. So any of you guys that don't want to listen to this, I understand why, but to me, this has been honestly, I, you know, thank you guys for listening to something like this because it's really, it's been kind of a part of my grieving process. It's, it's helped me a lot. And, you know, 
we lost Penny Lane as my listeners, you know, any you guys have been with me for a while. We lost Penny Lane, my half lab, half great Dane last March. She was 12 and a half. Um, and that was tough. That was my first, you know, that was, I had had her since she was a small puppy. My wife and I got her right before we got married, a little before we got married. And then we got Colby Jack six months after we got married. So, um, two of my, my OGs, if you will, <laughs> that's what they were. They were our OGs. And, um, there, there would start it all. So I just feel like I needed to talk about it. And again, it's been, it's been a good, it really helped me last time I got to talk about it with the podcast with Penny. And I, you know, I hope it kind of helps me the same as well as Colby was an amazing dog. And we got to talk about him because he was, he was just incredible. Um, so yeah, we got Colby Jack at 10 weeks old. He was a 10 pound puppy, <laughs> a little golden retriever fuzzball. And my, I always wanted a golden retriever. I always wanted a golden, you know, growing up, I had a Shih Tzu and we, we weren't going to get a big dog. My parents didn't want a big dog. And so I told them, I said, when I get, when I grow up and I'm an adult, I'm, I'm going to get big dogs <laughs> and golden's just where I always held a special place in my heart. One of my good friends growing up had a golden retriever and Max, I believe was his name. And, um, I always just loved him. And my, my high school girlfriend had a golden retriever who I loved. I mean, just, it's funny how all these dogs stick out in my memory and really golden's always just held such a special place. So I told my wife, I said, when we go and get this, you know, after Penny, <laughs> I want our second dog to be a golden retriever and she loves goldens as well. So we went out and we picked out a cute little golden puppy boy, um, and he was amazing from day one, just being a sweetheart. He was not the easiest dog to housebreak. <laughs> that was a learning experience for me as I was starting my career. So thank you, Colby, for that. <laughs> but uh, he was a sweet little puppy. Now, one thing we did run into with Colby is very early on, we learned that he had a shoulder problem. You know, I'll never forget that. Oh, my gosh. The first time he started limping and yelping. Oh, it was heartbreaking. He just was walking and all of a sudden, you know, was yelped. And he had uh, some, a condition called osteochondrosis. And essentially, you know, his shoulder uh, blade and everything wasn't, wasn't rubbing together right, you know, in a nutshell. And so he had to have surgery. And basically our vet told us, look, he, he, we really should wait. We have to put off the surgery until he's older. So don't walk him. Don't let him play too much. Don't let him play too rough. Don't let him play too hard. Try to keep him away from groups of puppies, you know, so he's not getting too, you know, uh, we, we kind of had to take away Colby's puppyhood a little bit in order to better his health by keeping him off of it, you know? And so Colby was a little socially inclined <laughs> or, you know, I mean, inclined who's so. This is how fried my brain is, guys. Um, but, you know, Colby, you know what I've discovered? It's funny. I, I've discovered with dogs, if you have a dog who has never been socialized and then you try to socialize them, yeah, it's not the easiest thing, but you can you can do it pretty smoothly. But if you have a dog who's been socialized with only one other dog and Colby was socialized only with Penny for a long time, and then you try to socialize another dog, it can be a little difficult. And look, I didn't know, you know, I, I was starting my career. I didn't know anything about training back then. I really didn't. I was learning. I was young. And um, I, I still like to think I'm pretty young. <laughs> Maybe not too young. <laughs> but uh, but it was a learning experience with Colby. And I'll never forget, we, uh, we had a neighbor at the time who had a big, handsome, gorgeous Great Dane. And Colby had never met him. 
and we brought the dog. They came, they came over for dinner one night. We invited them over for dinner and they brought their dog. And our doorway of our house was pretty narrow at the time. It was a pretty narrow corridor. And we opened the door. Colby's there. We opened the front door. He's never, mind you, never seen another dog besides Penny at this point. And here is this giant Great Dane and Colby just peed himself in the doorway. I mean, the poor guy, you know? Uh, and look, now I know better. We do introductions outside, you know, <laughs> I live and learn, but what a learning experience for me. But the poor guy, you know, oh, I felt so bad. I did. Not that that's going to help, but hey, I felt bad for the poor guy. And man, we had to, you know, we, we, we had to go through some trials and tribulations in his socialization because of that shoulder issue. And it was a learning experience for me, you know? Uh, but we got him socialized. We got him well socialized. He did very well, and he ended up uh, he ended up becoming such an amazing member of my pack. And Colby was also my, if you will, my show off dog. <laughs> he knew a bunch of fun tricks. He knew how to do a backup, a speak. He turned, he lied down. He could go on a side and play dead. Uh, he could jump up, you know, and put his paws up on. I mean, he knew he knew so many fun tricks, and it was just such a pleasure. Um, to work with him. He was such a sweet boy. And uh, yeah, you know, I just, I miss him a lot. I miss him so much. And Colby came with me on a lot of appointments, just like Penny did. And he helped train a lot of people, helped train a lot of dogs. He loved to swim. He loved to play the, I mean, listen to me. I sound ridiculous. I know. I'm. T- <laughs> but I miss my guy. Uh, he was my best friend, you know. He was my best buddy, and it's going to be hard without him. It is. It's going to be really hard without him. It already has been. So, you know, it's it's been a hell of a couple weeks. Um, you know, toward the end, Colby was not doing very well. Uh, you could tell. I mean, we actually, we had gotten him on some steroids, hoping, hoping that would shrink some of the tumors, and it seemed to be doing pretty well for a little while. Um, but... You know, I, I, I mean, he, he had a, he had a really bad seizure Thanksgiving morning and he hadn't had one of those. And, um, until then, and it was, it was rough guys. It was rough. And we weren't going to put him through any more of that because he clearly was not, um, not doing well. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make this all bum and glove. You don't want to talk about the happy times with Colby, but, um, Guys, you're you're dog lovers out there. You are, and you know what I'm talking about. And I know you can all relate. And it's 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 so hard, and it makes you you know gut wrenched. And like a piece of our family is missing because a piece of our family is missing. Um, so, uh, you know, I just I just wanted to talk about him a little bit. And again, I, this is probably this is this is this is selfish of me. It is. This is more for me and my grieving process. And, um, you know, you guys listening. So thank you for listening in and thank you for hearing about Colby. And, uh, I mean, look, I feel like I was almost more articulate with Penny (laughs) than I am with Colby. And I don't know if I'm shaken up more with him and losing two in one year, maybe that's doing it too. But, you know, guys, if you've lost a dog out there recently and you're feeling the way I am, it's, it's okay. Uh, you're not alone. You know, it's okay to feel this way about a dog because they are members of our family. He was my best friend next to my wife. Of course, I love you, Jen. Uh, he was my best friend, you know, and it's never easy to lose your best friend. It really isn't. So, um, but you know, that's, that's, that's why I do what I do. And that's why I love what I do because working with these guys, the relationship 
that we can form with them, the bond we can form with these guys. It's, it's, there's no words for it. You know, it's incredible. It's an amazing thing. And I'm very lucky and very grateful that every day I get to do this and I get to work with these amazing dogs and, um, you know, it's tough, it's tough, but I think it's worth every moment, you know, it's worth every bit of the pain in the end to have all of those incredible moments that I had with Colby Jack, all the fun field trips we took and adventures we went on and all the dogs he helped over the years as well, you know? So, um, thank you, Colby, you know, thanks for being a good bud and, um, and thank you guys for listening. So I appreciate it and I'll miss my buddy and, um, yeah. Yeah. The answer to today's trivia question What was the first animal in space? It was a dog, of course. Yes, a dog named Leica aboard the Soviet spacecraft Sputnik 2 on November 3rd, 1957. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Scottish Deerhound. The Scottish Deerhound, they're of course a member of the Hound Group. Males come in weighing at 85 to 110 pounds, with females at 75 to 95 pounds. A gentle, dignified, but high-energy breed, the Scottish Deerhound is a large-breed coursing hound with an appetite to work. They are a very old breed that was originally bred to hunt large deer and are known as the Royal Dog of Scotland. They are known to be affectionate and sweet with their owners, but the Deerhound is not the best dog for everybody. They need a lot of exercise and a lot of stimulation, with exercise even being maintained throughout their old age. The Deerhound is not going to do well in an apartment setting, and it needs a large yard at bare minimum, but really, they're going to be happiest on a farm or large property. They also have a high prey drive, so owners need to be aware around small animals. The Scottish Deerhound does have a few health issues to be aware of. Deerhounds can be susceptible to dilated cardiomyopathy, surgery-related issues, liver shunt, GDV and bloat, and more. However, kept in good health, the Scottish Deerhound can live to be 8 to 11 years old. The origin of the Scottish Deerhound is old and surrounded in mystery. There is evidence suggesting that the Deerhound was in Scotland before the Scots themselves were even there in the 9th century. Clan chieftains often used packs of large, shaggy dogs to hunt and take down very large deer when really as big as 400 pounds. These dogs were highly regarded for their courage, but gentle disposition with humans. They were held in such high esteem that a nobleman who had been condemned to death could actually purchase his life with the gift of a deerhound. However, no one beneath the rank of an earl could possess a deerhound, hence their nickname, the Royal Dog of Scotland. But due to the selectivity of ownership, the breed almost became extinct. The closest the breed came to extinction was in 1745, after the Battle of Culloden during the Jacobite Rebellion against English rule. The clan system collapsed, and the breed almost fell into oblivion. Efforts were made in the late 1700s to restore the breed, and there was some success had with this. Now, the breed made its way to the United States in the 1800s, and the Scottish Deerhound was added to the AKC in 1886. Today, the breed really is fairly uncommon, only ranking it at 158 out of 201 breeds in the AKC. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. 
First question today comes from Winona from Knoxville, Tennessee. Winona says, how do I not adopt a dog every time I walk past a pet adoption? They always have these adoptions on the weekends, and that's when I have time to go to the pet store. They make it impossible. You know, Winona, it's <laughs> I used to have the same problem. I've gotten a lot better at it. That's how I ended up with my Chihuahua. <laughs> Wasn't exactly planned. Walked past an adoption, uh, and the rest is history, right? No, you know, look, the reality is we all can't save them all. You know, I, I know it's the tough truth of it, but it's the reality. It, it's something I've kind of, myself, honestly, I've had to deal with and, and come to the realization. But you know what's fantastic and is, a, is great news in all these in adoptions, in the adoption world? One of the silver linings, I guess, if you will, if you can even say that, to come out of coronavirus and all that, adoptions are at an all-time high. <clears throat> yes, they really are. They're at an absolute all-time high. Record numbers of adoptions. People who've never owned dogs before are going out and getting dogs. People are going and getting a second dog, sometimes a third and fourth dog, and maybe that's not the best idea. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know the point is, dogs really are are being adopted left and right, and it's fantastic. It's phenomenal. A lot of these dogs finding great homes. So you know you always have to remind yourself that. Um, you know, if you go into a rescue and you ask, you know, of course, they're the dogs that do sit there a little longer than others, and it's it's very sad. And hey, look, if you have the means to take in a, a dog, go find an older dog. Go go adopt a senior dog if you are going to do it. I'm not encouraging you by any means. I don't want to <laughs> don't want to irritate anybody, significant others, roommates that may not be ready for another dog. So hey, you did not hear it from me. I didn't tell you to go out and adopt another dog. But hey, if you have the means to it, but just remember, guys, dogs are a lifetime commitment. They come with vet bills. They come with medications. They come with, you know, as, as we've talked about this episode, the the unfortunate part of having to say goodbye, you know. There's a lot of tough things that come with dogs. So remind yourself when you go out to do the adoption, it's it's wonderful to give them a home and all that, but make sure you can provide a good home for them. Don't get it over your head, you know. Make sure you can continue to provide a roof over your head, right? Uh, and that's kind of it. I, I would adopt hundreds of dogs if I could, but man... I don't know that we'd have food on the table or electricity to keep them all warm and cool at the end of the day, you know? So uh, it, it, it's tough, isn't it? They like to do it on the weekends because they know you're going to be in there. But hey, what can I say? You got to do your best. But, you know, if you're really feeling gung-ho about it, go adopt, uh, or excuse me, go volunteer. Go find your local shelter and go volunteer. That's a wonderful way to be able to, you know, give time and give back and give something and help those dogs in a, in a really fantastic way. So, hey, if you're feeling like you really want to adopt, maybe just go volunteer and give those animals your time, and that can really go a long way. Next question. This comes from Jack from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Jack asks, how do I know if my dog needs a sweater? You know, this is actually a good question because there are a lot of dogs out there that may get cold easily. Now, you're up north, right, Jack? You're up north. Uh, I'm sure there are times of year that it becomes more obvious than others <laughs> that your dog's going to need a jacket. But what happens when you're on that fringe, right, when you're not so sure? You know, look, the first and foremost thing is you have to know your dog's breed. If you do have a breed that was like, like a chihuahua, for example... Chihuahuas were, were bred in the desert. They were bred in Mexico. They were bred in a hot environment. So if you do have a breed like that, sure, you're going to need a coat and it could be down into the 60s that your dog starts getting chilly. Know your dog. A good way is, you know, feel feel them. Feel their ears. Are their ears cold? Do they look cold? Are their pads cold? Um, you know, those kind of things to look for to see if your pet is chilled. 
my chihuahua, look, she's a Florida dog through and through. If it's below 80 degrees, she gets a little chilly. Now, I don't put a sweater on her until it gets into the 60s. But yeah, in the, in, in the 60s, she's outside, she'll shiver. She starts shivering, she gets very cold easily. Some dogs are more susceptible than others. So really, I, I look at it as let your dog tell you but also know your breed. You know, you don't want them, them to get too cold first and then realize after the fact I should have put a sweater on. <laughs> so know your breed too. But greyhounds, you know, there's a lot of other breeds that have short fur, short hair that really just cannot tolerate cold weather very well. So to me, it's about educating yourself first. Hey, if you have a mixed breed and you're not sure, then you kind of have to play it by ear and and see how they do. But of course, it's it's better to be on the uh, air on the side of caution right? Then let your pet be cold. So I say look for the signs, know the breed, and hey, when in doubt, put a sweater on for warmth. Now look, I will give the disclaimer, I am not giving you the okay to go dress up your dog in fluffy clothes just because. <laughs> if you've met Jack, I don't know if I'm gonna have to worry about that with you. But, uh, but you know, I've said it on the podcast before, I'm really not a fan of dressing up dogs in human clothing. The only reason, in my opinion, dogs need clothes are out of necessity, out of warmth. And there are dogs, lots of dog breeds, sizes, all that kind of stuff that do need it out of necessity. So listen to your dog, know your dog breed, and of course, always better to err on the side of caution. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. And a very special thank you once again to Dr. Zinderman and the whole staff at Indian Street Animal Clinic. Thank you guys for being so phenomenal. Uh, You know, I want you guys to go out and have a wonderful week. Give your dog an extra hug this week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. 